We left off last week, if you mark spots in your Bible to read that we're going to go to, we're going to leave here and go to Exodus 28 at some part in this. At least my mind leads me that way because it's talking about the high priest. We made mention last week as we closed the service in Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. He's not just the high priest. He is the great high priest. Everything in Scripture that we're going to go through today pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christ is a priest and a king. That's two totally different offices. He's the king because he rules over all things created, and he's the priest because he offered sacrifice to God. He's made us kings and priests because he's cleansed us from our sins, made us holy without blame before God the Father in love, and drawn us to God. Therefore, we can come nigh to God and worship him. That makes us a royal priesthood. We're royal because we are bought in the blood of Christ. We're in the family of God. Christ is the King of kings. We are His brethren. So we're royal priesthood. Our high priest, a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens. Made mention last week, He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high forever making intercession for the saints. Jesus, the Son of God, exactly who our high priest is. Jesus, Savior, anointed Savior, Christ Jesus, the Messiah of God mentioned in Genesis 3 that would separate the children of God from the children of the world. We see Him hanging between two on the cross of Calvary, separating His people from the world, separating them from sin and death in His death, burial, and resurrection coming forth for their justification of life because He came forth. He is our priest. He paid that sacrifice. He laid His body down. He came forth to life and we came with Him. He said, let us hold fast our profession of Christ and Him crucified, our Lord, our King. For we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And I'm not going to go over all this again. I'm just reviewing last week because this text is going to go on for a couple of chapters at least. It's talking about the high priest. The high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get more into that in chapter 7 and chapter 9. But I want to review to bring us where we were. Our high priest was all God. Our high priest is all man. Being all man, He had the nature of God and He had the nature of man, yet without sin. He was made in the body of man without sin. His Father was not man. His Father was God. Therefore, He had no inherited sin. He walked through this world without sin. But He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He felt everything. He experienced every temptation that we do in life. Forty days without food. Being tempted of Satan. The body was weak. He was tempted as a man. Yet not tempted to sin because he did not sin. He cannot sin. Yet he experienced the temptation of our body that our sin that Satan uses to destroy us, to cause us to fall. And as we made mention last week, when we are tempted, He secures us. When we fall, He picks us up. 
And we're going to fall at times. He's touched with a feeling of our infirmities. He has compassion for you. He set His love upon you in a covenant of love before the world was created. He is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. That we do not receive the punishment due for our sins eternally or temporally to the extent of the law. Now God chastens whom He loveth, and when we sin, He chastens us. If you think you've been afraid of something in the past, then when you experience God chastening you with the heaviness of the Spirit of God in His presence, you truly learn fear. God can make you the most miserable in this world more than anything in the world when He chastises a child of God by simply bringing the presence of Himself stronger upon you that you might see more of Christ and see more of your sin and be sorrowful and godly sorrow will lead you to repentance. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, unmerited love and favor, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's start the text today. For every high priest, this is as we would say, in the day I was alive, he's the top dog, the top man. He is the head of all, all things created by Him and for Him. He's the head of the church. He's the head of all things. But He is our high priest. That makes Him above the priesthood. Levi's sons were in the priesthood. But Aaron, Aaron was the high priest that God appointed in the day of Moses. Let us therefore come boldly then for every high priest is taken from among men. Aaron was a man, flesh and blood. Christ was made flesh. He did not become flesh. He was made flesh. If you become old, God has blessed you to become old. God made you at birth young. Christ did not become anything. Our high priest was made flesh for the suffering of death to offer Himself a sacrifice for the sons of God, not offering Himself to mankind, but offering Himself to God to die for their sins, to redeem them, to buy them back to God, to make atonement, to bring them back to God, to make them holy and without blame before God the Father in love in spite of the sins that they exist in in this world. For every high priest from among men, beginning with Aaron, is ordained for men. You understand that. 
I said this years ago somewhere, I think Tuscaloosa, when Brother Glenn was there. And I remember, because the statement is made in the law when God was talking to Aaron, He said, this is a gift. The priesthood is a gift. It's a gift from God to you. The priesthood is a gift to God from you that you may be able to worship God and sacrifice to God, whether it was under the law, sacrificing animals to bring you in remembrance of your sin, which should bring forth, and when it's mixed with faith, the glory of Christ. The priesthood today teaches you of the finished work of Jesus Christ that is a gift of God to feed your soul if you're born of the Spirit of God, if you are of the elect of God, if God loved you before the world was, then Christ died for you and God feeds you through the Gospel. They are ordained for men, for you, that He may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. We can go back and we can study the law and we can see the sacrifices that were made, food sacrifices, blood sacrifices, cleansing with water, cleansing with blood, all things given in the law which pertain to the cleansing of the children of God. Every one of those ordinances of of, of sacrifices pointed to our great high priest. They all show in the richness of the gospel how He came into this world, how He was made flesh for the purpose of God, how He bore our sin upon the cross of Calvary, His body becoming sin for us, His blood being shed as the Lamb of God, as a sacrifice to the Father for His people. And it teaches us this was all provided in that covenant before the world was. Not to mankind, but to every child of of God. If people could just understand, if the truth was taught and given in revelation to everyone who goes into a religious organization, that salvation is of the Lord, that this was preordained and in the time we call eternity, which is beyond time. It's called Time that we may understand, but it's eternal, it's beyond time. That this covenant was made in the love of the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost. And it was, it was, it was sealed with the Spirit of God. The King's signet upon it. And it's always been. Who can have compassion on the ignorant? The ignorant... How many people are ignorant of the grace of God? How many sit under teaching and are told it's grace? But you've got to help the Lord. He's weak. 
You've got to accept Him. You've got to receive Him. You've got to make up your mind. You've got to turn your heart. Well, the Bible teaches me the heart is a desperately wicked thing. The Bible teaches me that unless God quickens and touches the heart, then you will not know God nor have any desire to know God. How many sit under such things and are ignorant of the grace of God? Many being God's children who desire to worship God in spirit and truth, but they're ignorant of the grace of God. They're not taught the grace of God. Now that's not especially what this is referring to, even though they were under the law, but that's the case in much of the religious world. And I want you to understand this. Christ has compassion on those that are ignorant of the things entailed. He said in one place, unto whom much is given, much is required. We are given much. Much is required. And we need to take heed, lest we who think we stand should fall because we're all sinners. But my point being, our high priest, this is showing us that Aaron was a high priest. This is teaching us that Aaron was a sinner, as was Moses, as was Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, as was Adam, whom God created, and he fell, was made good and upright, and fell, rebelled against God. And everything after him has been sin. Our high priest is showing us an Aaron in a type and shadow. He was a sinner, yet Christ has no sin. But he had compassion on the ignorant. Aaron had compassion. He was to have compassion upon the children of Israel. There are some, Paul tells us, to support the weaker brethren. He's not talking about those that are weaker in body, although we are to help all that stand in need of help. We're told to even love our enemies. How do we love our enemy? We feed him when he's hungry. We give him water when he's thirsty. We're not told to love him as a brother. We're told to supply things he needs. To have compassion even on that. But Aaron was to have compassion on the children of God. Christ has compassion. And again, you see the thief on the cross who apparently up to the point of death had hated God, did not believe that He was the Christ and reviled against Him. Yet Christ had compassion on Him at the very point of death Himself. He was born of the Spirit of God and that very day went to paradise with the Lord. Christ has compassion on the ignorant. The weaker brethren that don't understand the fullness of Scripture, and at some point in this we'll get a little deeper in that, to have compassion on them. What of those outside that sit under these lies, these heresies, that God needs help, that Christ needs help? Our, our Lord is a weak Lord. He's got long hippie hair, and He goes knocking on the door begging. God forbid! We know that's not true. We know that God works His way in heaven and earth and Christ is the right hand of the power of God. We know that Christ is the power of God by which all things are created. Christ does not ask. Christ works in heaven and earth. But He has compassion on those that don't know the truth. Those that are ignorant. 
and on them, that's not all of it, that are out of the way. Not just those that worship by the law. Those that don't worship at all. Those that live in sin. Those that live in rebellion. Some of our forefathers say those who lived in sin ignorantly. And I'll have that, not knowing sin was sin, because they haven't been taught it was sin. They didn't know it was sin. Well, I go back to this. I go back to this. God writes it upon the heart. You tell me how someone in some of the darkest countries of the earth where there's never been the Gospel preached will try to walk in righteousness because the Spirit of God is within them. Period. There's no other way to be right except in God. But there's a big difference in that in worship. Because worship is worshiping by spirit and truth. To worship in spirit, we have to be born of God. To worship in truth, we have to be taught the Scripture. Those that are out of the way, those that live in rebellion, those that live in sin, willfully, that are God's children. The man on the cross, the thief on the cross. Our high priest had compassion and has compassion on all of His people. God cannot hate you. God set His love upon you. God does not change. God does not lie. God does not fail. This covenant was made and sealed. He cannot deny Himself. People talking about, well, if we deny Him, He'll deny us. He'll look at you on the day of judgment. Say, sorry, I never knew you. Let me promise you, as Paul told Timothy, if we believe not, He cannot deny Himself. That's compassion. For that He Himself, speaking of error, and also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Leviticus 4, we will find where Aaron would make a sacrifice of a young book for himself and follow the oracle of the law to detail because He was a sinner and before He could pay sacrifice for the children of Israel, He had to offer a sacrifice for Himself. Before He went into the tabernacle, He had to bathe, He had to wash His hands, He had to cleanse Himself under the law. This is pointing to Christ cleansing His priesthood. And you are His priesthood. But the point being, He had to make sacrifice for Himself. And you will note the same sacrifice He did for Himself is the same sacrifice that He did for the children of Israel. Now, if you can't see that one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ there, we need to sit down and talk about it and pray God would bless me to teach you of it. 
He Himself also is compassed with infirmity, and by reason hereof He ought, as for the people, so also for Himself to offer for sins. I may back up, but let me go one further. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Our articles of faith, speaking of the ministry, says that exact wording, that no man taketh this honor unto himself, that he that is called as God is Aaron and in his sons. God calls his ministry. God calls his ministry. Our seminary is the brethren and the ministry that we grow up with. We don't need some overeducated idiot teaching us the weakness of Christ. Our seminary is in the brotherhood of the ministry of God. And we could get on to that, but I want to move on to Jesus. Exodus 28. That's Genesis. That's for my children today when we get there. Exodus 28. We come to the time in the law that God would give instruction for the high priest. The high priest. The one who could alone enter into the Holy Holies. Holy of Holies. The others could not come into it. Only the high priest. Only Christ. Only Christ could enter into the Holy of Holies. Only Christ could redeem us. Only Christ could save us. Only Christ. And take thou, 28 and 1 of Exodus, unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. He has to be an Israelite. Why are the primitive Baptists so adamant on seeing and understanding that God has called a man to preach, that God has ordained him, that he comes from spiritual Israel and not from some other place, because the Scripture teaches us to do that. We confirm the calling of God to the ministry that the brother... If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work, that the brother is called of God, as was Aaron, to speak to the children of God. This is the highest office in creation. This is where God calls and sets men to feed His flock and teach His children. They come from all walks of life. There was a man here years ago couldn't read, preached. I knew a blind man one time. His wife read in the Bible, but he preached. And then we've got some of the most educated men according to the education of man. And God gave them education of Scripture and they preached. God calls His ministry. Now the point, take then thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister unto me to God. 
You understand that? He's going to preach to the children of Israel. He's going to offer sacrifices for the children of Israel. And yes, they were preached too, but what they were preached in types and shadows of Christ was not mixed with faith. Remember, that was a couple of weeks ago. And this is a gift to God. This is the work of God. They minister to God, is what I'm trying to say. Not a gift to God, a ministry to God. The gift is to us. A ministry. Because they serve God by serving His people. What did Jesus say on the cross to those that were inheriting glory? And as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. This is a ministry to God. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory. For glory. Revelation 19, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That is the righteousness of Christ imputed upon them. Here is teaching us of the high priest. And it's showing the glory of the Son of God who would come into the world at the appointed time of God, would enter this world, His passion to die for His children. Holy garments, the glory of God upon Him, for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. You want to see beauty? You want to see an image of Christ? Watch the sun come up in the morning in the darkness being driven away. What's that beautiful glow? I heard Sonny Powell say one time, why else would the Lord have made the sun to be orange and gold and red if it were not to display the beauty of Christ when it goes down in the evening, the glory and the beauty of God, the beautiful sunset with God's glory going across all the clouds that we may see. And call Aaron thy brother for glory and beauty, and thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, those born of the Spirit of God, whom I, being God, have filled with the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of God, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Now let me ask you a question and give you a truthful answer. How did we... How did we... Glorify Christ. Let's take it cut and dried. We delivered Him up to be crucified. God suffered that to be. And in God's providence, God saved His people from their sins. And these are the garments which they shall make. This is our high priest. This is pointing to Christ. a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a miter and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Time out. Jonathan says chase a rabbit. Let me give you a rabbit real quick. If you study this description of the high priest, you find the exact way he was ordained and 
and the ornaments that he wore given in the law. If you turn, I'll be kind, if you turn to the Romans today, you find them wearing their clothing and their mitre is pretty much the same as the high priest under the law. You go to point in Revelation, I think, 17, where it says, That thou sawest was and is not. The Jewish law service was destroyed and shall arise out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. You can see how religion today by the law emulates the old priesthood. They look just like it. They teach the same lies as the Jews taught. Now, they shall take gold and blue and purple and and scarlet and fine linen. They shall make a breastplate. It covers the breast. An ephod. The ephod went under all things. It was like, in essence, an undershirt that held everything together. And a robe to cover their body. And embroidered, and it also shone forth glory. I hope to get that in a minute if i got time. A mitre on his head, a hat, and a girdle. The ephod would be in the girdle. It's like a belt. It holds the things together. This was for the high priest. Holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons. The continuance of the high priesthood until the day of Christ who is our high priest. Period. Everything pointed to Him. And they shall take gold. Gold and silver represent the glory and the righteousness of Almighty God. That's why the Ark of the Covenant is overlaid with pure gold. Man cannot fashion together pure gold. It will not form. It has to have an alloy. This was gold. It represents the righteousness of God. Something we cannot attain unto or work because we cannot form it, but God works it upon us and imputes it to us in Christ through our high priest. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet, blue and purple, I think about bruises being beaten unmercifully and scourged before being nailed to the cross. And it's also kingly colors. The robe, the fine linen, would be purple and blue and scarlet representing the blood of the Lamb of God. Representing the blood of Christ. Representing the blood of the very Son of God Himself. Representing the blood of the living Word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us and revealed the glory of God to us. And fine linen. Fine linen was reserved for kings. The high priest, you may say, as I said earlier, was the top dog, to use a 70s expression, of the priesthood. He was the king of the priest. Everything 
came through Him and for Him, from Him, regarding salvation under the law. God made it that way, pointing to Christ. Because every single thing we have comes to us in Christ, the Lamb of God, our high priest. They shall make the ephod, the under shirt type of gold and blue and of purple, of scarlet and fine twined linen, linen with cunning work. If you remember when they made the barrier between the holy place and the holiest of holies, it was with cunning work. The word means intimately, delicately, difficultly put together. A work showing us that we could not do. A work showing us it could only be done of God. And that veil represents His flesh. When Christ was crucified, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, teaching us that God did this work. He rent His flesh from the top to the bottom. Cunning work. Brilliance. The brilliance of God in heaven. And she'll have the two shoulder pieces on the ephod joined at the two edges together. And so it shall be joined together. Upon the shoulder piece of the high priest's garment, on each side, there was a piece. You know, you've seen policemen and you've seen military officers. And on top of their, their shoulder, they have a strap. And the military puts medals upon them. Captains and lieutenants put the medals, their, their rank up there. Upon the shoulder piece on this ephod, six on one side, six on the other, are written the names of the tribes of Israel. Let me remind you, this is a type of Christ. Let me remind you, the physical nation of Israel is a type of the spiritual Israel because God has a people from every people, every tongue in creation. And their names are written, they're represented in the names of Israel upon the shoulder piece for Christ carries them on His shoulder. Do you remember, have you ever seen, my grandmother down here in Sterrett had this on her wall. There was a, a picture of a beach and the sea and the footprints and there were two sets and then there was one and this caption said, Lord, I only see one set of prints. Where was Thou? When you saw one set, my son, it's when I carried you. You see, Christ carried us and does carry us and will carry us. Our great high priest. And they're joined together, Jew and Greek. 
And they're joined together. One work. We go back to Ezekiel. We see the rain inside the rain. We see the, the rain continually not breaking. The inner rain teaching us of the work of Jesus Christ in this world. And the outer ring being the eternal, never-ending purpose of God of the work of Christ in this world and unto glory. He carries us where we go forever. And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same according to the work thereof of gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. These are the ones. Six names on one stone, the other six names on the other stone according to their birth with the work of an engraver in stone. Like the engravings of a signet shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, thou shalt make them be set in ounces of gold. Settings of gold. You're set in gold. This represents you and our high priest. You are set in gold. You are set in the righteousness of God. You are set in a righteousness we cannot attain unto. It is the righteousness of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, our great High Priest. Thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial and the children of Israel and Aaron. Aaron, the High Priest, shall bear their names before the Lord, before the Lord upon his two shoulders. For a memorial, we're going farther, but you listen to this. Well, I wasn't there. I didn't crucify him. You better hope you were. People talk about Christ gathering them all into a place called Armageddon. That is the battle of good and evil. That was fought upon the cross. Christ went there and laid His life down to save you from your sin. My sin put Him on the cross. Your sin put Him on the cross. That's evident because you love Him. Therefore, He first loved you. You were there with Him. He carried you. He carried your sin to the cross. His body became sin. Thou shalt make ounces of gold and two chains because everything's connected of pure gold, the righteousness of God. It's all connected together in the eternal purpose of God and Jesus Christ. Of wreathing work shall thou make them and fasten the wreathing chains on the ounces because they're all going to be tied together. Everything Christ did is together. Back in Ezekiel, when one ring went up, the other wing went up. They all work together. <laughs> And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine twine linen. Shalt thou make it four square. It shall be, you remember, the temple of God being in Revelation, I believe, 21. Four square is the city. Four square it shall be being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. They give us the beautiful stones, each representing beauty, rareness. Precious stones are rare. The true gospel is rare. The disciples of Christ that are in this world who strive to discipline themselves and take up their cross and deny their self daily are rare. 
When you see it, it's precious because it's rare. All of these stones are different. Each one of these stones teach us that all of God's children are different. None of us are alike except in Christ and salvation. But you're living stones. Stones lay on the ground. Stones tumble. Stones are weathered. They're all different. Every race, every people, every tongue, every nation. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel. Twelve, a number of completeness. Twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve stones going up into the altar. Everyone with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes who represent the elect of God. They were the elect of God manifested in that day. You are today. You're the remnant of Israel. You're the remnant of God's people. That doesn't mean some of them fell and went to hell. You're the remnant that worships God. So many people get confused. God never did bring the Gentile into the covenant at a later date to inherit glory. God brought Gentiles into the kingdom of God in this world. Every child of God was chosen in the covenant of grace before the world was. What we were brought into was the kingdom of God in this world for we were without God in the world and now we know God in the world, and we worship God in the world by the grace of God and the purpose of God. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the end of the wreath and work, and thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, shall put the two rings on the end of the breastplate, and thou shalt put the two wreathen chains of gold, the two rings which are in the ends of the breastplates, all overlaid with gold, God's righteousness. It's all together. It's all pointing to Christ. It's all connected. And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains thou shalt fasten in the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, shalt put them in the two ends of the breastplate, it's going to tie to the ephod. It's connected with the ephod. The high priest wore it. It represents Christ. Put them on the two ends of the breastplate and the order thereof, which is in the side of the ephod, inward. Catch that. Inward. What's inward? The heart. Love. Mercy. The names of the children of Israel, the tribes, are upon His shoulders because He carries them. He carries them because the names of the children of Israel are on His heart. There's a reason Acts chapter 1 says after His passion, He went into the city of Jerusalem. His passion, His love, His desire to die for the sons of God to deliver us from our sins and be our Savior and bring us back to God. Promising us the hope, the earnest 
expectation of the eternal glory. This all points to our great high priest. And two other rings of gold shalt thou make and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. It's all tied together and the girdle tucks it in. They shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof and the rings of the ephod of the lace of blue that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. Let me finish up here and we'll move back to Hebrews. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart, Christ, when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. When the very Son of God entered into the holy place made without hands, he carried you upon his shoulder, he bore you upon his heart. It's all Join together. It's all the purpose of God. He is our great high priest. And this is a memorial to Christ. What are we doing here today? This is a memorial to Christ. We worship the very Son of God. We don't have to see Him. He's in our heart. We know He's there. We love Him. We cry. Our spirit cries, Abba, Father. And it's a memorial to the Son of God. They shall bind the breastplate by the rings, the rings of the ephod, the lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle, and that the breastplate be not loose from the ephod. It never separates. It never goes away. Nothing... It is the sure mercies of David. It is sure. It is mercy in grace. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel, the blessed plate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth into the holy place for memorial before the Lord continually. Now here's where I want to finish this part of it. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. You remember those stones? They were used in judgment. They would inquire of the Lord. The stones would give them judgment. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart. You see, judgment is upon the high priest's heart. Judgment is upon Christ. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is a scary, scary thought. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, but raised up from the grave, standing before Him in His righteousness, in His glory. That is a scary thought. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But brethren, aren't you glad for Matthew 25? Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're talking about judgment. God judges you in Christ. The others, Revelation 20, shall be judged by their their works in the books, plural. You, child of God that love God, shall be judged according to what is in the book. One single book of life. And that's written in the hand of God. For He said, I shall engrave thee in my hand. 
Thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Thummim. They shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. Christ went before God. He offered Himself to God as a sacrifice. Again, Micah 5.2 Bethlehem, Judea, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet shall He come forth out of thee he, to me who is to be ruler in Israel. He came to God as a sacrifice and God accepted that sacrifice. You are clean. He bore the wrath of God's judgment on sin for you. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart continually for the Lord. There's a lot more in there. All I wanted to talk about mainly there was the high priest and our great high priest. So we go back. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God is was there. God the Father sent God the Son. This was the will of the Father. This was the doing of the Father. It was coveted before the world was between the Godhead. My point being Christ did not take this honor upon Himself. Philippians 2 teaches us that. He made Himself of no reputation. God made Him both priest and king. God made Him our high priest. So also Christ glorified not Himself to be made an high priest, but He that said unto Him, Thou art My Son, Psalm 2 and 7, today resurrection from the dead, have I begotten Thee. His death, burial, His sacrifice, and His resurrection. When God made Him, He was made perfect in suffering. What does that mean? I've already covered this in an earlier chapter, but just to give you a memory and a look ahead. God is perfect. Christ is perfect. The Godhead is perfect. They're all equal in deity, righteousness, and power. Father, Word, Holy Ghost. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So how was Christ made perfect? He was made perfect as the Son of God and the Lamb of God being one. He was made flesh for God cannot suffer and God cannot die. He was made flesh and He perfected and finished to a jot and a tittle all that is contained in the law and the prophets. I took two minutes from you last week. I'm going to give you three back today. Lord willing, we'll take up this next week again.